Hello and welcome to another edition of Virtues for the Times, a feature podcast brought to you by the Institute for Ethics and Society at the University of Notre Dame, Australia. My name is Nick Zuma and your host of this series exploring the significant ethical questions being raised in a world affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. We try to shed light on some of the issues in the pandemic from an ethical standpoint and on this podcast feature special guests and researchers to help us think through the challenges. Now, along with COVID-19, there is a particular crisis affecting one part of the world at the moment. As COVID-19 deaths surpass 100,000 and the killing of African-American man George Floyd unleashes riots throughout the country, there can be little doubt that the United States is caught in a moment of intense social distress. As the nation weeps for its pandemic victims and angry protesters take to the streets demanding that the lockdown and institutional racism finally end, what do we make of it all? Today, we try and understand the role of religion in a time of social distress and ask whether religious responses to the current crisis could make things better or worse. Dr. John Rees is a research associate at the Institute for Ethics and Society at the University of Notre Dame, Australia, where he co-convenes the Religion and Global Ethics Program. John is also a professor of politics and international relations at Notre Dame in Sydney. He's a recognised scholar of religion in the field of international relations. In 2021, John will conduct research into religious nationalism as a Fulbright senior scholar based at the University of Wyoming. And John joins me right now. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Nick. Is it really important to be thinking about religion in the US right now? Isn't the pandemic and the issue of race enough? Yeah, it's certainly enough to think about, isn't it, the pandemic and race? Uh but it's equally true to say, I think, Nick, that uh, religion has played and continues to play a significant role in the social and political life of Americans. While it's not the driving issue in everything that US society is facing right now, I guess uh, it's also never very far away from the action. Mm. Uh, thinking about what's happening right now, civil rights protests led by religious leaders such as Martin Luther King, Junior and Malcolm X seem as relevant today as they did in the 1960s. And yet religion is also playing a bit of a reinforcing of order role as President Trump's recent photo ops uh, outside Episcopal and Catholic cathedrals in Washington, D.C., illustrates. So, we get a picture of religion that is broad and diverse and, of course, caught between protest and law and order are faith communities representing a really wide spectrum of religions who are trying to respond to the needs and the fears and the hopes of their members and also of their fellow Americans. So I guess the religious lens, as we understand it, provides a valuable social, cultural, political perspective on the current crisis and perspectives that we mightn't otherwise get by factoring religion out. I take it, John, that by religious lens, you're using a broad concept to indicate different faith perspectives on social and political life, even though religions offer different perspectives. So, I mean, and it's pertinent to ask, how is it that we define religion and how important is that to understanding the role of faith in a time of social distress like the US is experiencing? I would agree with you that the way we define religion is important. Um, when talking about religion, it's actually important to ask ourselves and in fact to keep asking ourselves, do we actually know what we're talking about when we use the R word? 
Um, it's something researchers into religion and society like myself must be continually aware of. It should also make us cautious, I have to say, about media portrayals of religious leaders or political leaders with religious affiliations. So, for example, Prime Minister Scott Morrison is a Pentecostal Christian and has a cultural and religious affiliation with American megachurches. Now, the conclusions we might draw from this will be a direct extension of our knowledge or preconceptions about what it means to be a Pentecostal or to attend a megachurch. Research will often disrupt and complicate these perceptions, and that can invade our political comfort zone, I would suggest, in really healthy ways. For example, we like to think of megachurch subcultures as sort of weird and exceptional to the way that the rest of us live. But a recent study of megachurches in America by James Wellman, he's a professor of comparative politics at the University of Washington, challenges this view and finds that even though some megachurches make the headlines because of scandal, most recently involving mass gatherings in defiance of uh, COVID-19 social distancing rules, for example. Many others promote an ethic of communal solidarity and serving others, and often in strongly multiracial contexts, which can then act to strengthen social bonds in times of distress. Now, of course, it doesn't always go this way, which brings us back to the need for researchers to be cautious about making assumptions about the social and political impact of religious behaviour, independent of evidence and discussion and mm. all the things that we're about in research. Right. So, that's interesting. I mean, you've got, you've got on the one hand the media and the public and its perceptions, if, if you will, but also the, the researchers, you're, you're sort of warning against drawing conclusions from the research as well. Is that, is that right? Yeah, there's a sense in which the, keeping asking questions about the levels of our own religious literacy and being open to surprise. And this is not something that we will get if our only uh, sources of what religion is come from uh, our favourite social media silos or from uh, only singular sources of media or even religious input. I think the broader the range of information we're drawing on to think about really existing religious communities and the way that they practice things like citizenship, particularly in times of uh, social distress, becomes really important. Now, I guess if you if you pile onto that stereotypes about America and Americans, and again, we're talking a nation of 330-odd million people, um, I'm not sure what Americans means in mm. that context. An incredibly diverse country, very rich right. traditions, uh, multiracial, multireligious uh, nation, and a very dominant nation. And so, caution for researchers and for any active thinker about religion into the American context, I think, is quite fundamental. Absolutely, John. Another another term or concept that we might uh, draw conclusions about is is nationalism, and and this is very important at the moment in times of upcoming election, but also in the current situation going on. To what degree do connections between religion and nationalism? play a role in the current crisis, whether in response to COVID-19, actually, or as a factor in the, in the protests over race relations? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess the answer is partly determined by what we mean by nationalism. 
And mm. because of this, there are different ways religion can also be factored into our thinking about nationalism in America. One is the role of religious freedom and the activity of religious communities as being fundamental to the meaning of citizenship. So, understanding nationalism through uh, the lens of citizenship. This means historically, um, sorry, this um, began historically with Protestant Christians in the American story, but extends to other Christian traditions like Catholicism and a wide range of religious traditions beyond Christianity, including the vibrant histories of Jewish and Muslim communities in America. You can sense that this emphasis on citizenship presents a picture of diversity the Aspen Institute in the US has recently produced a report differentiating religious pluralism understood as an active social engagement with religious diversity from religious nationalism, which is defined as an attempt to create or enforce an ethno-religious hmm. majority. Religious nationalism offers a good explanation, for example, for President Trump's appeal to white evangelicals. I see. But, but religious pluralism offers a better framework, I think, for understanding the way religious citizens live and work together at a more basic level in the American experience. So, this brings us back, Nick, to our own religious literacy and the power of media messages. The controversies of religious nationalism will always grab the headlines. So, Trump awkwardly holding a Bible outside of a cathedral, for example, making mm. the headlines. But there are many other stories, including protests and diverse actions of social solidarity by religious leaders in those very same cathedrals that become stories that aren't always at the forefront of the news and of the headlines. So that complex interplay between pluralism and nationalism in the way that citizens behave, I think is a very important sort of series of um, elements and factors that we need to be thinking about in asking the question about religion and nationalism in America. I see. Yeah, that, that's very helpful. And, and when you distinguish pluralism from nationalism there, uh, am I right in, in drawing the conclusion that nationalism, as far as the research goes, may have a slightly negative connotation? Uh, is that correct or not necessarily? I think, Nick, the uh, association of nationalism can sometimes picture or feed into impressions of uh, what we might call ultranationalism, which is always leaning towards violence. And certainly, um, religious associations with ultranationalism aren't rare, and this would certainly be a negative connotation. Uh, but if we think about citizenship and pluralism, citizen commitments are also uh, nationalistic in a way, serving the nation, being loyal to the nation by being loyal to the wider community and to fellow citizens. And there is research such as the work of Anthony D. Smith that takes a broader, more complex understanding of what nationalism is. And there's, there's plenty of room within those understandings for constructive citizen engagement to fall under mm. nationalism. So, it is true that the pluralism, religious nationalism sets nationalism in a slightly mm. negative way, but that is broadened out by not... Um, 
throwing out religion per se, but understanding that religious landscape in more of a pluralistic fashion. So in trying to understand religion with its socio-cultural dimensions, whether they be nationalistic or not, what is the connection between religion and race? It's a very important question to ask in relation to the United States. It's a very serious question and there's an equally complex history linked to the issues of religion and race worldwide and particularly in the United States as we're digesting the traumatic events of recent days and weeks. Slavery, for example, has been called America's original sin. And the inflection to Christian language is actually no accident, really. African Americans and Native Americans before them have suffered terribly under Christian justifications for their racial subjugation, for instance. Yet if we consider the African American experience as an example, it's also true at the same time as those subjugation practices were Um, underway, that Christian spiritualities of liberation and of freedom from oppression were also uh, enabling, giving hope, creating uh, social mobilization and resistance. These themes have equally deep roots within the Christian tradition. Now, we're talking about Christianity here because of its unique role in the foundation's of American society. But we could apply this complex intersection of forces of oppression and domination versus forces of liberation and freedom uh, within any religious tradition. I think this is our great discovery about religions per se, that they inhabit these different energies, different energies that lead to very different outcomes in terms of the human experience. So we analyze the role of religion in upholding the structural evils of slavery and segregation at the same time as recognizing the capacities for religion to inspire active resistance. And we see this kind of resistance today in the pastoral letter to the nation written by the African-American Christian leader, the Reverend Dr. William Barber, who appeals in this letter to the prophetic traditions of Isaiah and Jeremiah and to the Christian season of Pentecost in offering a very forceful call for change in America on the grounds of race and the connected issues of poverty, social injustice, structural inequality, etc. It's important that we add these perspectives to the voices of people of colour from across the religious spectrum in America as well. So both within Christian traditions and beyond them into other faith traditions. Religious communities can be places of disagreement, as you know, Nick, sometimes intense disagreement and certainly of debate on how to prioritise questions of justice and social change. This will always be the case. We could argue that this is one of the strengths of uh, religious community involvement always places of debate, always contending with issues and questions of truth and how those issues and questions become uh, expressed in the social and political realm. So we see that race and religion in America are really fused together uh, in quite an inseparable way and we should not step away from some of the grim realities that that has created in history, but equally hold um, signs of hope and transformation and uh, inspiring stories of struggle. 
whether that be uh, from the civil rights movements of the past, um, the um, uh, slave uh, freedom songs of uh, before the American Revolution or even to contemporary events today. These issues haven't gone away, but that doesn't mean that religious energies haven't been exerted in a complex way. And I think what we study in this context of race and religion is that complexity. The minute we lose the complexity, uh, I think we fall more into tropes and stereotypes about what religion is. It's hard to look at a religious tradition through these difficult lenses and hold such uh, such opposites in front of our face all the time. But this is what we do when we study religion. John, you've sort of given us a little bit of an analysis of the US and the religious context and social political context there. But your research also focuses on understanding the role of religion in international relations. Uh, So does the study of religion in, in a global context then provide useful tools for understanding the US context? We're interested in religions at a global level because religions don't tend to come with passports. Uh, Religious devotion doesn't stop at a sovereign border. Um, Faith communities certainly have have a strong local presence, but they have this worldwide and they draw on practices and a sense of identity that goes way beyond the local in many instances. So religious interests and communities are interesting to study from a global perspective, Nick, because of this characteristic of what we would call transnationality. So the first thing a global perspective brings are comparisons, but also contrast to the US context. Religious communities around the world are responding to the COVID-19 lockdown and engaging issues of race in ways that differ from the American experience. And this increases our religious literacy, I think, in very healthy ways to get that sort of diverse data set, not just religion in America, but religion in the world. And and how do religious expressions in the United States take on particular forms? Um, Secondly, I think understanding US political culture and history is important. Mm. It's different to the cultural histories of Australia or Indonesia or South America or even Chile, Nick. Um, (laughs) There's a a sense in which comparative analysis of religion in each of these cultural contexts is really important. Religion doesn't always take the lead in society. It often adapts, follows, moulds itself to the surrounding environment. One scholar once said that cultures don't sit still for their portraits. I think that's a that's a very apt thing to also say about religious traditions. They don't sit still. They mould and respond and develop um, and evolve in accordance with the cultural context that they're in. So understanding the global diversity of cultural contexts Mm. helps us to look back into the American experience and ask what's common at a global level that the American experience shares, but what's very particular to the American experience that we can take notice of. So there's a sense in which, obviously, the the experience, the social, cultural, as, as you're indicating there, are tied up with the the religious. But it's very different depending on which which country we're looking at. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, my own country is also going through its own obstacles in, in Chile as it navigates COVID, and a lot of cases in COVID too. And sometimes we have seen uh, responses from from religious leaders, as as you say. If we could just move, um, um, as we wrap up, John, into just just very briefly into our Australian context for for a second, when we'll be looking at this uh, further next week in upcoming episodes. But this week, many Australians 
uh, return in slightly larger numbers to, to cafes, pubs, team sports, as well as churches and mosques. What room can we make for solidarity when we consider the plight of people in the US and other countries struggling through the pandemic? Our social and religious life is different here, but does the US situation help us think in our own context? Yes, I think religious traditions have very strong tenets of solidarity embedded within them. I think this would be a fundamental from my perspective as a as a researcher. Without thinking about those internal impulses that religious traditions bring to issues of solidarity, I think we can empty out the uniqueness of the religious contribution to social harmony, particularly in times of distress, whether that's interracial distress or health crisis such as the pandemic that we're in. Mm. I think there are um, other comparative understandings of the way that religious communities engage in solidarity as well. So, not just through their own beliefs and practices, but also then just aligning as fellow citizens or making their networks available for, example, a social response, uh, places of healing, joining wider social movements, um, criticizing or indeed affirming government initiatives around solidarity building. We shouldn't be naive, though, to think that Religious traditions are all about solidarity. Partisanship and prejudice can be equally drawn from religious practices. In social science, we call this through the um, research of a leading scholar called Scott Appleby, we call this the ambivalence of the sacred, meaning that religions are ambivalent on questions of of, uh, peace and violence. They can go both Mm. ways. And we might say that those that go towards violence aren't practicing true religion. Look, we might be right in that, but they wouldn't say that themselves. They would say we're being religious in our actions. And so religions are ambivalent. They can go either way Mm. on questions of social harmony or social division. And we shouldn't be naive as researchers about this. And as we engage, whether it's in our own religious traditions or whether we look at the traditions of others and the role of religious communities more broadly in Australian society, uh, we need to take seriously the, the positive capacities of religious practices to bring a strong sense of solidarity, but also be aware of the shadow side and of the internal debates that happen within religious communities around some of these issues. Mm. And there's a lot more to be said about that, John, uh, but we are out of time for, for today. I really just want to thank you for being able to really summarize such big ideas uh, in, in the short amount of time we've had here, John. So, thank you very much for, for joining us. Thanks so much, Nick. It's been really terrific to uh, be here and uh, well done on this initiative. I think this podcast series has been terrific. Oh, thanks very much, John. That's uh, Dr. John Rees, Professor of Politics and International Relations and co-convener of the Religion and Global Ethics Program at the Institute for Ethics and Society, helping us to reflect on the situation with a focus on the role of religion in American social and political life. And we hope the uh, situation improves. Join us again next week for another episode of Virtues for the Times, where we'll be taking a more local look at religious communities. Until then, this is Nick Zumerin signing off. I hope you are enjoying the series. Have a great week and until next time. 